Welcome to Do Not Go Quiet. Here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, and nobody can hang with my stuff. With Eric Wilson. It's a big, hairy American winning machine. Brandon Chalky, what's up, brother? Eric, love the <laughs> intro. Very cool. I like the guitars hanging in the background. I didn't know. Are you a, a, a musician of sorts? Yeah, I don't know if I qualify as a musician, but uh, yeah, I play. I like to. Yeah. I mean, yeah. kind of anything creative I like to pursue. And um, yeah, guitar is definitely a bigger part of my life these days than it probably should be. I, I fiddle around with like, I, I kind of got buried in it during COVID. And then when COVID came out and I started going down this bow hunting wormhole, the guitar has taken a backseat, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Guitar took a backseat for me for the last probably 20 years. And just recently, I uh, I think I was, uh, I don't know what I was doing, going through a midlife crisis probably. And I was like, you know, I really miss playing guitar like back in university. So I just started playing again. What's your, which one are you playing? What's your favorite guitar that you've got? Ooh, good question. So uh, let's see here. So this right, oh, this one, wow, this one right yep, here. Gotcha. That is a 1943 Southern Jumbo made by Gibson. Oh, you're a vintage guy. Yeah. And uh, funny thing, they're actually like, that was during the war, right? In the forties. Yeah. And uh, they, uh, a lot of the men went off to fight the war and uh, a lot of the women stayed back. And so they took over the positions in the factory. So for a brief period in the early forties, oh, man, I just can't get this. Um, you got it. The uh, uh, women were actually making the guitars at Gibson, so that's that's one of them. Yeah, they made the guitars, they made the shells, they made the tanks, right? They made everything. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's yeah. your favorite one. That's the one you like to play the most. That's the one that has the most meaning uh, for me. You know, if the, the house is burning down after I rescued the kids and my wife, I probably like <laughs> you're getting the Gibson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that that's good stuff. Yeah. So the it the way that I so obviously. A lot of people right now are talking about Once We Were Wolves, the story that you did with Cam Haynes. Um, that's I had seen a couple other things that you did, but the the emotion that you were able to capture in that, um, I think I think you told me just kind of in our pre-interview that it's kind of blown up way past what you expected anything to happen, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, it's. I don't know if it's way past, but it's certainly, I mean, it, at, the, at the end of the day, they're, they're hunting grizzly bears. Right. right. And uh, that's, you know, that's always kind of an iffy thing, right? There's a few animals that for whatever reason, people um, see differently than they see other animals. And so like, you know, if, if they were hunting elk or something, no problem. Uh, grizzly bears, or obviously, you know, things like elephants, um, polar bears, uh, pandas not really pandas I'm sorry, but, uh, <laughs> you'd probably be getting a different response if we were yeah, a little bit different response. yeah i just you know i thought there'd be a bit of a uh, a backlash potentially but there really hasn't so far yeah the um i think so i watched your interview with him and one of the things that he said was it's pretty amazing that there's you know most people get to know you through your dad jim shockey but he said there's a chance that people could see this film and get to know Jim Shockey through you. Um, you know, if you're like some of my friends or people, you know, who may know me that listen to this may not be big hunters. You know, Jim Shockey is one of the the icons of, of outdoor television and, and adventure hunting. But me being new to the game, I, I'm that guy, right? Like 
I was introduced to you, I was kind of blown away by the, the way this was filmed and, and the, the backstories and the way that you captured emotion. Um, I didn't know who Jim Shockey was other than I'd probably seen, you know, Uncharted or some things like that, but I didn't like register in my head. You know, I got, I really, his resonance was, you know, came from you. Is that kind of a weird situation for you? Uh, yes, that's very atypical. Yeah, but I think it's awesome. I'm going to tell him about that. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I mean, you know, from early on, um, I've been behind the camera. So that's just the way it is. Unfortunately, you know, people in front of the camera, they get the, uh, you know, a lot of the accolades, they get a lot of the credit. Um, and I think in dad's case, that is uh, absolutely merited. Um, but yeah, I think when Cam said that, I thought that too, it's, you know, it's kind of cool to think that people could be introduced to him through me. So is this, you know, being behind the camera, is that what you always wanted to do? Or is it something that, that kind of naturally occurred because of what your dad did and the position you were put in? Did you want to be a filmmaker from early on? Like, did you have a passion for that? Or how, is it just something you kind of fell into? Yeah, great question. Um, that's a tough one because, uh, so the honest answer to that is dad is, um, he's really good at what he does or, you know, now he's kind of retired what he did. Uh, it was always difficult for me to think that I could just, you know, walk in front of a camera and be just as good as he was. Uh, and it was tough for me to, you know, accept the idea that in order to, you know, try and go in his footsteps, try and do what he was doing, I would have to like go through this process where like, I know that I'm not good on camera and I'm just being on camera right now because of who my dad is. Uh, was that something that you put on yourself though? I mean, right now, oh, sure. you know, in watching you on cam's podcast and talking to you ahead of time, I, I think you're good on camera. So was that something that where you were like comparing yourself constantly to your dad and that's why you came up with that thought process? Yeah, I think that's accurate. Yeah. That's tough. I mean, to put that on yourself as a young kid. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, I've never really thought about that, but yeah, you're right. It's, uh, you know, it's certainly all internal for me. Um, but I did find that with the, you know, being behind the camera on the production end, I did feel like I found my, you know, quote unquote purpose. And I found out where, you know, with what dad was doing, you know, cause he's like, again, for people who don't know, I mean, he was going through the stratosphere in the hunting world, right. Or outdoor space. Right. Uh, and so to go along with that and to, I think, you know, add value to that and help with that. I found that um, I was able to do that, but it, it did require me to be behind the camera and to focus my efforts on making a great, uh, you know, entertainment experience for the, for, for viewers. So at what age were you when you actually started, not just interning or, you know, apprenticing, but what age were you when you really started to become a significant or an integral part of, you know, those productions? Um, I was probably, let me think here. It would have been after university. So I remember um, way back, you know, when I was like 12 years old. So dad had this, has a series called the hunting adventures. And he started that when I was quite young. And I remember, uh, I don't know what I was doing. I was like, this is probably totally illegal, but I'll tell you anyway, he had a, a little, uh, if it's fan, if we were with family, I don't think it's ever illegal, is it? Well, no, I mean, <laughs> what he, he had a, a target and he make it, he put like a cardboard box, he filled it full of paper and I had like a, a really slow shooting BB gun or something. And I, okay. work, I would practice shooting this little BB gun into this little target, uh, in his office. Um, and it was sometime around then, or maybe a little bit later where he was talking about starting hunting adventures. So 
I was privy to the very early discussions on, you know, how do you go about making a TV show? Because dad didn't know how to do it from, from nothing. Um, and that helped me later on, you know, I think that would have been so uh, maybe 10 years later when I started professionals, I was right out of university. But at no point did I think that making a TV show from scratch was impossible or that I needed to, you know, have some crazy fancy equipment or gear or something to make that happen. That just didn't occur to me because I, I saw it already done, uh, you know, as I was growing up. Yeah. So you saw pieces of the process along the way and maybe you didn't know how to do the entire thing from jump street, right. but, but you'd seen it all and you know, okay, all I've got to do is just kind of dig in and figure this out. So yeah, I know, I know that you've worked on a lot of productions with him, you know, from uncharted, uncharted Yukon and all those. Was there ever a time where you broke off from that? And, and I know, I, I think I heard you reference something about LA that you broke off from that and tried to either go look at something else, learn something else in the film space uh, to see if, if there was, you know, room outside of outdoor television for you? Yeah. So the LA thing was a little different. I did live in, I lived in Orange County for, uh, you know, I don't know, four months or something. Uh, but that was earlier. That was in first year university. So I was going to, to okay. school for, for business because I didn't know that I wanted to get into film. In fact, if you would have asked me then, I would have said I didn't uh, because, you know, again, uh, you know, father son relationships are interesting and uh, dad was kicking tail in the production space and the outdoor space. Uh, at that point in my life, I, you know, wanted to go try something else. Um, what did you think you wanted to do? I want, I, I thought I wanted to go into uh, finance or marketing actually. Okay. But, yeah. So I went to like a fancy business school and took all the courses and, uh, was very seriously looking at, at doing that. So what pulls you back in? You go to university, yeah. you're looking at, at business or, or marketing. What pulls you back into filmmaking? So I'd love to say that I had this epiphany and I was like, oh, like, you know, film is for me. And I went to university and I figured out like everything I didn't want to do. Uh, what really happened, though, is I I um, I was a nerdy kid, um, you know, in high school. I was you know, reading all the time. I was probably in the chess club. Uh, Love math. You know, I was good at calculus, like like stuff like that. Um, and I went to university and uh, my eyes got opened a little bit. You know, and I started doing things like, you know, playing guitar. Uh, my grades dropped horrendously. And uh, I, you know, was having fun, you know, making new friends, experiencing new things. And uh, after university, it just kind of abruptly ended. I didn't have a plan. And, uh, but I knew I wanted to get into business. So that's what I thought. So I talked to this guy who was starting, had a, a startup, and he was actually uh, taking, what was he doing? He was, he was sending private jets for people, for like executives. And he needed somebody like some peon basically to, to hang out with these people on the jets and, you know, keep them whatever, I don't know, fresh waters and answer any questions they have when they're flying. And uh, I said, great, I'll, I'll do it. Cause I thought it was a cool startup idea and I'm all excited. And he said, sweet, when you can start. And I said tomorrow. And he's, and I said, how much are you pay me? And he said, nothing. And I said, <laughs> The joy of working with me and the experience of working with me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I've had a few of those. The, the, the experience, and uh, so at that point, I was like, "Oh, okay, like this, you know, this is real life stuff, and people don't just like you're not just going to be some successful entrepreneur overnight, uh, just because you think you want to be in university. And university is a bubble, right? It's not reflective of what actual business and actual life is like, right? And so I realized that, and that made me circle back to uh, dad. 
and what he was doing. And it just happened to be at about that time, he called me, I've told the story before, but he called me on a flight back from Pakistan, which for most people, their dad calling them on a flight back from Pakistan is probably pretty weird for me. That's just, you know, another day and what he was doing back then. He was traveling probably 300 days a year at that point. So he called me and he said, Hey, um, I have this idea. I want to make a TV series. It's like, uh, it's a hunting series, but it's, it's different. It's not just about killing the animal, right? Um, it's about more than that. And he wanted to call the professionals and he kind of told me a bit of a, give me a one pager essentially on what he thought it could be. You know, it's one of those things where he was flying back on a, like a midnight flight or whatever it was. And, and he, he had, had an idea and he wrote it down. I thought it was great. And uh, I still wasn't sure I wanted to do it, but I thought about it for about a week. And then he said, you know, essentially like, are you in or out? And I said, uh, I'm in. So he had all the backing, the financial backing on it, and he had already started having conversations with networks, those kinds of things. He needed you to do the production side? No. The film side? Or no, my recollection, I, I could be wrong here, but my recollection is he just had the idea. So you, said, you did the whole thing? You went out and did you pull all that together? I did not pull the sponsor. So what I did is, uh, so at that point, that's just an idea. Right. And uh, he said, okay, see what you can do. Take this footage we shot in Pakistan and see what you can put together. But it's got to be different than what the you know traditional hunting show would be mm-hmm. um and i didn't really know how to edit at the time i didn't know much about anything really so i took a few months uh youtube was relatively early at this point so i, I went on youtube and i started figuring out how to edit uh you know how to how to you know sound design um and then i started looking for i shouldn't start looking for i just tried to do what i thought would be cool with the footage that we had and i again i was a tech person right so um, you know, and frankly speaking at that point in the outdoor industry, uh, a lot of people weren't, a lot of people were sticking to the standard tried and true sort of like method that they've been doing for years, uh, back in the older days of broadcasting, uh, which kind of looked like this and it was, um, you know, Hey, welcome to the show. My name's John. Today we're going hunting white-tailed deer. Uh, I'm so happy you can join me. We're going to talk about our sponsors before we go out, blah, 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 blah. And then they show uh, uh, a deer getting hunted and killed and then show another one, uh, probably two. And then they'd end the show. Lots of commercials, uh, not a lot of story, just a lot of, of like, hunting content. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I wasn't coming from a space where I was, uh, you know, enthralled with hunting necessarily. Uh, I like stories. I liked, um, you know, movies by Guy Ritchie and, and things that don't have any or never did have any uh wouldn't belong in the, the outdoor space and people look at me who are already doing those shows and be like what are you doing that, that doesn't why would you why would you think you can make a, a hunting show like why would you know anything about it you're a kid from university that uh you know likes movies and tv shows that have nothing to do with hunting so i just did what i wanted to do i and and that was the uh pilot for the professionals it was in pakistan it was not honestly it's not my best work but it had some cool tech stuff like uh, back then there was a program called optical flow, which we can have now, but it just came out back then. And so I took this Ibex that was jumping over a cliff, which is like three frames. Like it wasn't even a, it's not even a good shot. Uh, but I slowed it down to like a thousand or something, you know, using okay. optical flow. And I probably spent three days in this, this stupid shot. Uh, and people were like, wow, they couldn't believe that this was, you know, people were really blown away by it. And then we, we took that, that pilot to the channel. And that allowed us to get the sponsors because people thought, oh, wow, this is like a, a new version of what like what a hunting show can be. Yeah, I mean, I think that what you're referencing, I and I've 
I'm very new to the hunting space, but yeah. my brother hunted his entire life. So I, I saw a lot of that stuff. He would get the videos and all that. It seemed very transactional. Like you said, you know, you'd have the sponsors and this and that. I'd be like, dude, 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 kill the animal, do you know, more sponsorship, kill the animal. And it sounds like what you're saying is you, you know, you really started looking at it like a film and started thinking about storylines, cinematography, you know, how can I translate the journey and the process a lot more than just the outcome? Right. And let me clarify that. That was not because I thought that I was some genius or anything. It was just what you uh, liked. It's just what I liked. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, they say genius lots of times, you know, comes from a person's most inner, I think, desire or some kind. There's something along the line, but basically it's, I think the people that are most tied into doing things really well, it's because they're doing things the way they like to do them and the way they enjoy them. And then that ultimately comes out in the product they produce as opposed to trying to produce a product that is resonating somewhere else. They're doing something that resonates with them and in translation, it resonates with other people. Yeah, it's, I think that, that's accurate. Yeah. So as you were doing that and as you were kind of taking that, the task that your dad gave you, how did that relate in terms of you looking at a story and deciding, you know, telling that story differently, not just with technology, but, you know, at what point did you start to think about, you know, how do I potentially set up this shot or how do I potentially film what's going on right now in a way that's going to tell the story that I want to tell? Like, where did, when did it come from? You had footage and you edit it to your filming footage and you're trying to capture something that you see happening. Yeah. So, um, as I think he should have done dad in those days, it wasn't like, you know, he, he was saying, Hey, like, come on board. I'll share all the profits with you, make lots of money and you'll be like super successful when you're 20. Uh, he said, uh, I'm going to pay you 40 grand Canadian a year to do this, produce a show. And you know, 40 grand Canadian a year is like 30,000 Americans, something like that. Um, which I was grateful for, but it's not like it was a, you know, I wasn't driving a Bentley or anything. Uh, and he, <laughs> And he Where, has, you've got have you got kids yeah yeah so i've got older kids and i'm the same way they're all like dad like look at how much money you make and i'm like yeah look how much money i make right I'm, there, there's nothing written down on a piece of paper that says i'm supposed to give it to you right and having kids now i'm going to do the same exact thing if i get that that opportunity because it it it's um i don't know i think it's it's easy to uh you know, give too much too quickly or, or spoil people. So I think, anyway, it builds he, a, I think it builds a fortitude, you know, yeah, sure. it, it, yeah. it teaches, yeah. <clears throat> I, I know a lot of people whose kids were given everything. Mm -hmm. And then I know people who, even though they had it to give, they made their kids work for it. And those kids turned out a lot better than the other ones in most cases. Well, you know what? It, it sets you up for failure basically, because you get so much Agreed. success, not really based on necessarily based on your, output or your, your actual ability. And then following that, cause you're always going to do something following that you're now tasked with an impossible metric to, to, you know, cause you always want to, people always want to get better and better and better and better. And you've already got everything. It's like hard to internally uh, make that work. I think I'll yeah. there. Anyway, dad, dad certainly didn't have that problem and, and I didn't either. So uh, <laughs> he expected me to, to, you know, wear different hats and mm -hmm. uh, did. And part of that was filming, which I sucked at uh, in the beginning. So again, I was not, I didn't just like, other than the editing side, you know, I, I did fine, but I didn't just walk in here with a camera and like start killing it. Uh, I had 
plenty of time to make horrible uh, filming decisions and I got bad footage. And I'd done some filming with dad for his hunting adventure show. So I had experience with cameras a little bit, but I was never, I never cared. Like I never, never looked at them as anything other than just like a, a way to, you know, spend my summer when I was in, in, in high school. That changed when I went to uh, Nepal. So Nepal was in, I don't know, 2012, I think. So was this show that the conceptual show that you start, was this, did this become uncharted or what show did this become? Right. So after the first two seasons of the professionals, uh, we were, the professionals was, was doing great. Um, but dad and I had talked and, and I, at that point I was never satisfied with that. Uh, probably maybe to a detriment. I don't know, but I never really was like, you know, wow, I'm just going to rest in my laurels and, and here we go. And, and profession is going to go on forever. Uh, so uh, I think we were talking, it might, might've been me that initiated this one. Uh, you know, what if we could do an hour, an hour show instead of a half hour? Cause that, you know, honestly speaking, what that does is it doubles your perspective um, sponsorships coming in because we were maxed with what dad could travel. Dad can do 300 days a year. He's got to do two, uh, two series um, and hunting adventures, like 26 episodes or half hours. So I thought if we really lean into story, would it be possible to not increase the time we're using you dad and say, if we go on some 10 day trip, instead of doing one half hour episode, what if we could do like two hour episodes out of that? Because I'm thinking now, Hey, we can make an entertaining story without animals dying all the time. Cause that's, that's the problem with hunting shows is that people expect to see animals being killed uh, or they used to back then. Yeah. Well, not only that, I think, I mean, from the perspective, like you said, of a storyteller, you know, 30 minutes is not a ton of time, especially if you're, you're dealing with commercials and sponsorships to have a start and a finish and actually tell a story of any kind of significant substance. So I'm sure being able to take it to an hour and then potentially even taking, you know, that one hunt that was 30 minutes to maybe two different shows give you a ton more latitude in terms of your ability to develop storylines, shoot things the way you wanted to. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So Nepal was the the proving ground for that. And, uh, I, I was going through an interesting time. Like I was reading, I think, you know, Ayn Rand stuff. Um, I was, uh, fairly, I was having some success with the professionals. Um, and I was again, right or wrong, very naively, I was thinking I could kind of do anything. So, uh, that's what makes yeah. people successful. Right. Yeah. When, well, when you don't like, know your limitations, you right. tend to stretch them a lot further. Yeah. And I would say it was more for me. It was like, I didn't know my limitations rather than like, I believed I could literally do anything. It was more just like, I didn't. Right. I was like, Oh, okay. This is, you know, this is the, this is the formula. And yeah. if I work hard enough at it, it's going to be successful. And so I wasn't worried about it, but yeah, we went to Nepal and um, I had to get my, my act together. And this was just about the time if, you know, any film nerds out there, the DSLR, DSLR revolution was taking place. So uh, there is a camera called the Sony FS100. And it was a relatively cheap camera, but it was kind of had some cool tech features and slow-mo and stuff. And uh, I took that to Nepal. And, uh, you know, the, remember the, it's very commonplace now, but the night sky stuff, the Milky Way going by and all that, that was all new. Yeah, you yeah. Know? It, so it remember, still looks cool, but yeah, I, I remember seeing some of that stuff when it first started to pop up and it yeah. was like, oh my gosh, what, like, what are they oh, doing? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. So, so that, so nowadays we see it all the time, but back then people were blown away. And so I was, and I remember, um, I remember on that trip, I was just so inspired. Like, uh, it's, 
it's almost like if I could bottle up what that feeling is and just always live like that, like that, that to me is, is the dream. Like I just, I would, I would literally wake everybody else would be sleeping. I literally, and we'd be long days hiking all over the place in the mountains and I'd just be loving like every second of it. And I would wake up after doing all that in the middle of the night, like 2.30 AM and I'd get my little DSLR out and it was like super dark and I was freezing and everybody else would be asleep. And I, and I probably have photos of this somewhere, but, and I'd, I'd be taking these like night, time lapses of the stars at like 16,000 feet. And I remember, I literally remember like looking up and just being like, this is incredible. This is what I want to do forever. And this is going to be so great. And so. There's those, there's those moments in, in time in everybody's life uh, where, like you said, there's lots of times where you have great things happen and then you look back on them with memories, but there's not a lot of times where you recognize that you're in the middle of a moment when you're in it and you can sit there and, and appreciate it for what it, for what it is. And it sounds to me like that had a pretty big impact to maybe on moving you forward in terms of what you're trying to translate on film. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's accurate. Yeah, definitely. I don't, you know, and I don't, I honestly, I don't know that everybody does have that. Unfortunately. Uh, I think I was, I think I was lucky to be able to get into that position, obviously with who my dad is um, and do something that I did feel like, was special. I don't know that if I would have taken a different career path and went into finance, for instance, nothing wrong right. with finance. Uh, I probably have more money now, but um, <laughs> I don't know that I ever would have been sitting there looking at the spreadsheets or, you know, worrying about the orange juice commodities, or whatever we're going to do over the Christmas break or something. I don't know that I ever would have had that, that thought. And so I don't even know if I knew if I would have known that I would have missed it. Yeah. I think that's a great point. I mean, I know, you know, I've been in business for 25 years now, but before that I, I coached college football for, you know, 10 years. And like, I remember having a moment like that when I was coaching at the university of Tennessee or excuse me, I was coaching at South Carolina. We were playing the university of Tennessee. Peyton Manning was the quarterback. They're one of the top teams in the country. We're in Knoxville. They had just expanded the stadium. So there's 110,000 people. Like the place was literally shaken off. Wow. You know, the rafters and we're playing, you know, it's a pretty tight football game. And I'm I'm up in the booth. Like part of my job was to be in the box and, and look down and call coverages and those kinds of things. And and there's a timeout and the place was just going insane. And that's I like I had a moment like that. I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm here right now. Like, right. this is what I dreamed of doing my entire life. And I'm right in the middle of it. It's a pretty insane situation. There you go. And I, I'm very thankful that it sounds like you had that same experience that I did. Uh, and uh, boy, I don't know that I'd be the same without that. I honestly don't. So, so when, when did you start, you know, independently? And I know your dad's kind of tapered off. I can't, I don't know exactly what year it is, but it looks like it was maybe 2019, 2020. When did you start doing some independent projects away from the things that your dad was doing? Um. After Uncharted, so Uncharted would have been, you know, I'm just uh, maybe 2016, somewhere in there, or maybe 2015. Um, I actually uh, tried to get a show started with Cam Haynes at that time because he was coming up. And uh, so I traveled down there with him. We shot a really cool promo you can find on YouTube. Uh, and I thought it was great. And this is the first hint of um, 
of, like I said, me not knowing my limitations because the channel looked at that and I thought, Hey, no problem. This is the formula. I'm just going to keep, keep rolling with this more shows. No problem. Higher guys. I had uh same channel. Who were you? Who were you? Was it yeah, discovery is, or who were you pitching it to? No, this is the outdoor channel, outdoor channel. So same yeah. channel that was carrying your dad's show. Okay. Yeah. And to give you some context, um, you know, I wasn't, I was living by my, by myself in Vancouver at this point, I had an apartment and, uh, obviously I wasn't doing all the editing at this point. It was just way too much. You know, I, I was, I was doing editing, but not, not nearly all of it. And uh, so I had uh, totally illegally turned my apartment into an office. So I, I went down to like secondhand shop or whatever and, and bought a whole ton of secondhand desks and just lined the outside of my apartment. And so every day at like eight o'clock, you know, whatever, seven, eight guys would roll into my apartment. <laughs> and uh, you can imagine like, you know, editors so was like star Wars t-shirts and stuff. Uh, there's an interesting smell in the apartment and we had to, uh, we're doing color work and stuff too. So we'd have to, you know, black out all the blinds. So it's like a super dark apartment and we're just working all day in there. Anyway, uh, I figured, Hey, this is, this is awesome. I'm living the life. I'm going to launch another series now. And, uh, the campaigns promo, even though I thought it was great, the channel just didn't like it or they liked what the did, promo, but they, what did they like about it when they gave you feedback on it? What did they say? There's probably, I mean, honestly, my read is there, there was some political stuff, uh, with cam at the time in the channel. I think that's probably why they didn't go for it. If, uh, if I'm being honest. So, but maybe it was also just, you know, I didn't, they looked at me and they thought, you know, you're the young kid who's been lucky to have success as far. And, and, uh, we don't think you know what you're doing and make another, another show. So, and I probably didn't. So I did that. <laughs> Uh, I tried that. And then I, I did do one uh, called Carter's War, and that was with uh, Ivan Carter. Ivan, Ivan's Yeah, I saw that on your IMDb profile. I was going to ask okay. you about that. So so it's not hunting related at all. Uh, right. This is uh, Ivan's sort of like a, a well-known figure in Africa. And uh, actually, believe it, I think he's got his own show coming out on um, on history now coming up. I'm pretty sure. But at that time, I... Uh, you know, we follow him around Africa as he was chasing down, you know, uh, poachers essentially. So, you know, like in uh, Kruger National Park where all the rhinos are getting killed and the elephants mm -hmm. and the ivory and all that, we investigated all that. Uh, you know, some relatively, I would say, you know, dangerous stuff we, we did. The crocs, like the Mozambique, uh, Mozambique and the rivers where crocs kill like a thousand people a year, like right, you know, so it's kind of like the, uh, it was like a, I was trying to do a Discovery Channel show. It wasn't really my style looking back now. So I think maybe uh, if there is a style that I have, like being true to myself, it's like kind of like cinematic, more like uh, drawn out story, meaningful stuff. Um, was that more of like a documentary? Um, I mean, I know it wasn't a documentary, but did it feel more like that kind of a show versus you having the ability to, you know, have more latitude with the storyline? Yeah. Well, the way the, the way the deal with the channel was structured is, um, I didn't have full creative control, really. I, I had to, you know, I was working very closely with, um, you know, other people to, to do that series. And it just, I don't know if that's good or bad. I think I definitely had to just politically kind of had to like walk away from what I thought would be right, you know, and so a bit of a different style. So did that. I also did a series on my sister it was like a reality series. Again, getting away from my style a little bit. I don't think the series was bad, but it's definitely a different style. Um, what channel was that for? Was that again? That, outdoor yeah, so, channel again? So, so all, and again, all my successes have been for the outdoor channel. Now I did try and get the series with Ivan onto, uh, you know, Netflix. And my experience was that with that was interesting. Uh, again, me not knowing my limitations. Right. And I thought, Oh, you know, I'm just going to sit down in front of these people 
and they're going to take a look at me and they're going to say, wow, great work. We see what you see. And, and you're just like that Anne Rand character, how it worked. And wow, you're going to change the world and like, come on board, we'll give you a million dollars. And uh, I couldn't even sit down at the table. They were so busy with people trying to get their attention at that time. I had to catch one of their like minions on the way to the bathroom, basically, and like interrupt and say, hey, you know, can I get any time with you at all uh, to even get and even then it was like it was a nothing. So. Which is insane because I look at some of the dreck on Netflix and go, how did that ever get on that channel? <laughs> so yeah, well, people, so much of life is about who you know and who you're tied into. Yeah. And I was I was frankly shitty at that at the time. Yeah. You know? Well, you, you're forced to get better at that. You know, if you're in any form of business, because I obviously you've you've already figured this out. But there's, you know, the whether there's the execution side of your business, but then there's also the how do I drive business and generate business for my company? And those are two distinctly different, you know, things the first one I'm really good at, you know, that's, that's kind of part of how I've built, you know, my different companies and those kinds of things. Um, and I've gotten better at the second part where it sounds like you were better at the second part and you've gotten better at the first part. Yeah. Yeah. And, but I agree with you. It's a lot of, uh, I mean, a lot of life is just who, you know, and, and, um, no, that's that's obviously like you you have to have both parts right you can't just have a, a network of people you know and expect to be successful but certainly if you can execute uh the people your, your friends the people that support you and i've got i've been lucky enough to have uh people that have believed in me you know despite me not having the greatest people skills from day one from from the outdoor channel so that's why i always go back there and and this series we're doing now called american made you know that's all because uh tim kremen the the, the president believes in, in, in my ability to, to do great work. So despite having some failures in my past, I was giving another opportunity. I think we're, um, hopefully, uh, back to, you know, making what I think are successful shows. What's the premise behind that series? Have you seen uh, chef's table? Uh, yeah. Okay. So mm -hmm. chef's table is, uh, they're, they're human stories, but they, it's through the lens of a uh, chef, right. And through food and through the restaurant they created, um, Imagine that, except through the lens of American uh, entrepreneurs or craftsmen, uh, people with, with uh, American visionaries. So, for is, it all, is it is it like all based around craftsmen, people who create things with their hands? Is that the play on the American made, or is it any kind of entrepreneur? Yeah, it's both. As long as everything's made in America, so mm -hmm. we, we generally, and what I found so far is that. Uh, and, uh, you know, don't, I'm not including like the, the big corporations here, but generally there's sure. a visionary and then there are people with that person that are doing the, the hands-on stuff and that, and, and I think you, it's hard to have one without the other, right? Yeah, I agree with you. So you've got that project and then, you know, the thing that we kind of touched on in the beginning, that's, you know, where I, I, I knew your name, but through just some of the other people I knew through film, but you know, where I really first saw the work outside of Uncharted was when you did Once We Were Wolves that just came out on YouTube, you know, a month, I don't know, six weeks ago, something like that. Right. I, I heard you reference that, you know, that was something that you kind of connected with um, with Kip on before it ever got over to Cam. So what, what was your connection to Kip early on? Yeah, so remember when I was saying visionary, uh, Kip is a visionary. So right. if, and just for a bit of his, his background, Kip was one of the essentially co-founders of Under Armour, you know, back when they were doing like 18,000 a year in the, uh, you know, in a basement. So uh, he's literally been on that ride where, you know, someone with a vision 
uh, and this is him and his partner, but, you know, probably most of his partner at that point, uh, they, you know, turn that into a $4 billion a year business. So when Kip talks, uh, he's really interesting. He, he um, his ability to articulate the future is like kind of nothing I've ever seen really. And, and like, and, and like really big picture stuff. For example, uh, like, well, for example, so like right what now, would he say or how, actually, what would he do like that? Well, so right now I'm wearing his t-shirt, which is a big truck. The big uh, truck. Brewery, mm -hmm. Right. So that's just a brewery in, uh, in Maryland where Kip's from and shout out to big truck. Yeah. Shout out to big truck. You're and, welcome. Uh, You're welcome to sponsor the show if you want at any point. Oh, there you go. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. He'd actually be, Kip would be a great guest. So he, when he explained big truck to me, I didn't fully like, I, you know, I kind of thought, okay, you want to start a brewery. You've obviously got some, some money from Under Armour. You can figure it out. Um, but that's, he didn't just like buy into something and then, you know, look at it from like a, a purely business perspective. He had this idea for like years. And he, he said that when he, you know, basically planted the first hops, you know, they were going to use, he knew this was going to be like a seven, eight year project before they're even going to be profitable. Uh, so that kind of vision, like he's not thinking about getting a return next week or thinking about what's going to happen next week. He's thinking about, oh, hey, Big Truck's going to be a $100 million business. Uh, and this is how we're going to get there. And yeah, it's going to take nine years and it's going to suck. And it's going to be hard. But I know that if we follow these steps, we will, we will get there eventually. That That's kind of how he operates. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And so you got connected. How did you get connected to him? Because, yeah, and see, this is the, uh, this is why I have some some open doors that a lot of people don't is Under Armour sponsored the professionals and uh, did we, yeah, per, the Uncharted for sure. Okay. And so I had already met and Kip's brother, Kobe, he was working at Under Armour at that time. So Kobe, Kip's brother was like our, you know, guy, like if, if they had issues with the show or, they, or we were going to meet them at one of the trade shows or something, we'd always be sitting across the table from Kobe. So uh, that's the connection. And, and so Kip knew of my work because you know, obviously they've been sponsoring a show. Kip was in hunting. He's kind of friends with Cam. And what happened was Kip was going back up to Alaska with Cam. And Kip had, again, going back to the beginning where this is, you know, when I got into this professionals, that was, that was my dad's original vision. Uh, this was Kip's vision. I don't know if he was thinking about like once for wolves, but he was thinking, Hey, this would be cool. Cam's going back up to Alaska after Roy died, died. Do you want to come? And so he just called me out of the blue. I didn't know Kip. I've never met him in my life. I knew who he was. And he said, uh, you know, you want to come up to Alaska? And I said, yeah, let's roll. That's, yeah, let's roll. that's yeah. the kind of, did you, did you recognize at the time what it was going to do? Or was it just kind of another opportunity to shoot something that might be cool? Um, I thought two things, if I'm being honest, the first one is that I, from what I knew of Kip, I liked, I've heard like my dad has a lot of respect for Kip. Um, and I trust my dad's opinion. So I actually, to be honest, I like the idea of just going up and spending, you know, 10 days in camp with a guy who co-funded Under Armour. Uh, and I mean, not, I mean, not like, so I would just say, I can't, if you're, you know, whether you're young or whatever, as an entrepreneur, like that's such a huge piece of learning how to become a better person at business, at whatever you're doing is putting yourself in a position where you are around other people who have done it, who have the vision to do it, who have, you know, banged their head against the wall, learned the hard way, like 
that may sound like like the way you kind of said it was like oh i just kind of thought i might want to you know it'd be good at, to hang out with him but honestly from a conceptual standpoint that's what really successful people do is they surround themselves with other successful people and they soak them up like a sponge you know they're humble enough to recognize i can learn a lot from this person so i mean that makes a lot of sense that you would do that right yeah so and um and i you said sponge and that's exactly what i did so aside from the film uh, and Kip can confirm this. I talked his ear off the whole time. I'm sure he got annoyed as hell because I was just asking him everything about his story. I was asking him how he looks at the world, you know, and then I, I started asking him about, you know, what other projects he wants to do, not film projects, just like just business projects, you know, what, what, like, and so we started talking about all kinds of ideas he has. I and mean, he's just like an idea machine. He looks at stuff. He's like, oh, this could be different. This could be better. This could be better. And they don't all happen. But I mean, even this morning, I woke up this morning, I had some idea and I just texted it to him. Uh, and said, Hey, you know, what do you think about this? And he hasn't gone back to me, but, uh, yeah, we, we got, so on that film, we got stuck in a blizzard for the first three days. And, uh, so, and just kind of like you, what, what, what you said, if you want to pick someone's brain, uh, there is no better place in the planet to do that. If you're then being stuck in a blizzard in a tent where you can't go outside, there's no cell reception and you've run out of like, you know, just kind of, you know, fluffy topics to talk about after the first six hours. And what so, you were going to be there, how many days were y'all there? Was that a 10 day trip? I think yeah, approximately 10 days. Yeah. So as you were sitting in the blizzard, were you in your head going, are we ever going to get out of here? And am I ever going to capture anything <laughs> worth capturing? No. Well, okay. So that's it. So that was aside from the film. The filming side was different. Um, I tried again, I'm hanging out with uh, Cam Haynes and Kip Falks. These are no, no nonsense guys that treat uh, hunting, well, especially Cam here, but you know, this is their livelihood. It's their life. Um, so I try and honor that if I'm in those environments and I try not to cam aside, let anybody else outwork me in those positions. Uh, so I was filming the whole time um, and I didn't know what was going to happen, but I thought it might be great. You know, we might get something awesome here and who knows what I can do with this. Uh, so I was filming constantly, even when we we're trapped in the blizzard. And I think that is a mistake, you know, that, that some people can fall into is our trap is they think, oh, cause we're not out hunting. Uh, we're not out doing things that, that that's not an opportunity to film or to capture. There's no story there. And, and that's not, I don't think correct. Was he crawling off the walls? Like I it's, it's, he yeah. seems, yeah, no cam. Was he like, which, which one of them was crawling out of their skin and which one of them handled it better? Uh, well, I was, I was in the middle and Kip was, uh, I was caught to my left. Uh, he was probably crawling the tent because I was asking him so many questions. Like constantly. <laughs> he's uh, like, let me out of here and go get hunting. Yeah, he's like, shut up. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, Cam. Cam's a, a a really interesting guy. He really does live for that kind of stuff, that adventure stuff. So I don't think there's any point where Cam or Kip were you know concerned about you know how long the blizzard's going to last. Uh, other, you know, we joke about it, but. Those guys are, are pretty comfortable out there. Yeah. The, the, uh, so my, obviously, you know, I, I think I told you, I can't remember if we were talking already on, on the recording or not, but you know, the, I, I've been in football my entire life, yeah. uh, playing football, college football, coach football, um, up until literally this last year, um, when next year I'm not coaching football for the first time and I don't even can't remember how long. Wow. But I kind of decided in the, you know, I've, I'm 55 years old 
And I kind of, you know, for the last couple of years, I've been like, okay, what am I going to do when I stop coaching football? Right. Cause I've something that's mentally challenged me, something that's created a lot of camaraderie. There's, there's a tribe in that very similar to what you get in hunting. There's like a lot of like-minded guys who, you know, are connected in the same way. And somehow I got in this bow hunting wormhole. I think it was really just, you know, I listened to Rogan's podcast and like a lot of people. And I, I think I saw the campaigns thing and I started looking at it and then I started, you know, uh, there's a couple of guys in town who are, you know, big bow hunters. Um, uh, Bert Soren of Soren X and then Joe miles who uh, owns Osseo gear. Uh, and I was lucky enough to kind of get connected to them. So like the last six months I've been in this bow hunting wormhole. So, you know, I watched some stuff on YouTube, but I got this notification. I think it was like three or four days before the film was going to come out. And it was like, Hey, this is, you know, it'll be live on whatever Tuesday or Wednesday night. Um, and the way, how did you plan the promo on that? Because it, it seemed like you had a lot of viewers like live did i miss that or is that did you have a lot more people watching live than you thought you were going to oh yeah way more yeah no there's like five thousand people watching live yeah something stupid and what would you I, have expected oh uh, yeah I, you know honestly i didn't really think about it but you know a few hundred maybe uh so so that promo that wasn't my idea that was um when we do the uh, like that was released on cam haynes youtube platform right yeah uh, and, but I've had the film for quite a while, like for months and months. Uh, and I've always thought that and I've it's, actually you, talked you've to, had it done for like over a year, right? Yeah. Didn't I hear you say that? Mm -hmm. yeah. And, uh, I, but I've always thought that the, you know, I've always wanted to do a, like a quote unquote film, you know, where you spend more because we're always under deadlines. Right. And so there's never been a, a TV show that I've done where I, I didn't think in the back of my head, like we can do better on this. Uh, we can flesh out that story more. And, once we were walls, you know, I was able to really spend some time on that, mostly because I was kind of unemployed during the pandemic and, you know, it was in flux. So it, it kind of made sense. But uh, no, I was not expecting that many people to be watching. I didn't, I hardly even, I didn't really consider the film. I, I, I thought it was good, but I didn't realize that it would resonate so much with people. Yeah, I think so. I, I when I saw it, obviously there was this countdown clock and, you know, I, there's all this stuff going on in my house. And, you know, I think my wife wanted to watch something on Netflix and I, I actually prepped her the day before. And I said, look, there's this thing coming on tomorrow night. It's at eight o'clock. Right it's like, it's, you know, it's about a hunt in Alaska. I said, I know you're not going to be interested, but I like, I really want to watch this and I don't want to watch it on my phone. Like while something else is going on. So I'm just like looping you in, but that's going to be on the TV in the family room. And, you know, I was sitting there and the countdown clock was going, I don't think it started until like three or four after. Um, but the way that the film started and I, you know, I can't, I've watched it multiple times, but I was just, one of the things that captured me and that this kind of this image that resonates with me over and over was you had this shot of Kip drinking out of a stream and talking about, you know, what, even though he had done all this stuff with our under arm and all these things, what, where he really wanted to be, you know, was in the mountains and the way that got shot, the backdrop on it, like that part right there, like locked me in for the entire thing. And I know there was, you know, most people were there to see Cam and all that kind of stuff. But it, it was interesting how you weaved Kip's story into that. Was that something that you had anticipated ahead of time? Or is that something that kind of, as you saw and were editing, you were like, this is, you know, this belongs in here. Yeah. Uh, so here's what I, here's what I do for that. Um, 
I mean, I'd like to say there's some kind of like magic formula I use, but what I, what I really do is I'll take all the footage from the trip. Remember, I'm filming a lot. I think right. Kip and Cam would tell you, I don't know how many hours, but I mean, I'm not every, every morning when Kip would open his eyes or Cam would open their eyes, I'd be, you know, camera right in their face. Cause I don't, I don't know what, I, I don't know at that time what's good or what's bad. I'm not writing this stuff down, right? There's no script. So I'll take all that footage and then I'll bring it back. And uh, in this case, I sat down with it for a while and I just watch through it all. And I try and figure out, okay, like, what do I have here? Um, and when you start doing that, you, and you spend enough time on it, uh, A, you go a little bit nuts because you're just staring at a computer screen all day long, but B, <laughs> uh, you start to figure out, okay, like what, what is the theme and what resonates with me? And if you watch that film, you might notice in the first three minutes or so, uh, it feels different than the rest, right? You know, I'm showing, I'm showing like random stuff, like I'm showing subways, uh, stuff I shot in Vancouver. Uh, I'm showing time lapses, like people working in the city and, uh, you know, traffic and, and uh, old archival footage of, uh, of a bear that's been leashed up. Um, that's like, if I had to say like, what's the essence of like, what, what I really feel about something like that, that's it. Uh, but it's, what, it's what were you trying to achieve with, with those things early on? Were, were you trying to, was there a message you were trying to send or was, were you trying to set up the storyline in a certain way? Okay. Yeah. So I'm trying to set up a storyline certain way and also send a message because I actually do believe this, uh, that shot of. And again, I didn't know this before I started looking through this stuff and it kind of came to me, but that shot of Kip drinking, right, uh, in the middle of nowhere, I agree, that's a, that's a great shot, right? But without context, it's just a great shot. And just right. great shots are not are nothing special. There's all kinds of great shots. Um, what he said was something like, you know, uh, outdoors is my church, okay? Like, this is, this is all I care about. I just want to be a mountain man. And that is interesting because you're, you're looking at Kip is literally one of the most successful business guys that exists in the USA, right? I mean, he's co-founder Runner Armor. I mean, he, surely he found the ultimate pinnacle success and he's happy and living on a yacht somewhere. And that's not the case, right? So I got thinking about that. And, uh, and again, I'm kind of like, you know, I'm paraphrasing a little bit on what I was actually feeling because most of it's just kind of by feel. But I started thinking about the big cities that were trapped in. And I've had these thoughts before. Um and uh, I looked at my own experience, which was that that LA uh, gig I did where I was in a cubicle for, for months at a time. And uh, I tried to use that experience. I talked to people and figure out like, are they happy in this environment? Because I, I sure as heck couldn't see myself doing that forever. And uh, I tried to visually and audibly um, convey that kind of message. That, like, I'm not sure that we as humans are meant to be doing what to be lining up at the grocery store to buy our, our pork that's wrapped in cellophane eight times and put it in separate bags because you don't want next to our bananas that are imported from Ecuador or whatever. Uh, we live in a, a funny, weird state right now. And what A, it wasn't always like that. And B, um, it might not be what's best for us. There might be something more. And Kip has had this journey. That's his, that's his story. Hey, I climbed to the mountain I saw over the other side and there's nothing for us there. Everybody's climbing up, trying to, you know, get the paycheck and, and, and for good reasons. I'm not, I'm not like, you know, I'm not poo pooing any of this. I just think it's interesting that a, a person like Kip wasn't satisfied with what we all think of as like the, the dream scenario. No, I mean that honestly, that piece of the film Kip's story 
resonated a ton with me. Uh, you know, sure. my success is not anywhere on the level of Kip's, but you know, to the average person, you know, you would look at my life and go, God, if I could just be there. Right. And I've, I've built and sold multiple businesses. You know, we've, we've got the nice house, we've got all that kind of stuff. And I, I don't take any of it for granted, but you know, as I've gotten older that it's less and less important. Right. And especially like when we were just talking about, okay, what am I going to do next? You know, I've gone from, you know, when I was younger, being in a neighborhood to then kind of moving outside of a neighborhood to now, like I moved out to the country away from everybody on a lake. And then all of a sudden they decided to build houses all around me and now I'm ready to sell this one. Yeah. You know, but that's a huge part of what has drawn me to hunting as a 55 year old guy that literally knows nothing about it is it's not necessarily the bow, right? It's, it's the journey and the connection to something that because I've been in business my whole life and all, I've never been connected to those things. Um, and there's something that's very freeing, very, um, you know, I've got a, a pretty, I'm very strong in my faith. So I connect a lot of that stuff to God and those kinds of things, but I feel very in tune with, um, like when I'm out, and I've never been an outside guy. My wife will tell you like, what in the hell has happened to this guy in the last six months? He's like a lunatic. Cause he used to not want to go outside and sweat very much other than when he was at football practice. But <laughs> I mean, it's, com it's completely changed. And so when I saw Kip's story, I was like, damn, like that's me, right? That's right. where I'm at right now. And I'm trying to learn all that stuff. And, you know, I'd be just as happy to sell the house, sell everything I got. My last daughter's about to go to college move into some you know place in the middle of montana but my wife would you know leave me and you know <laughs> never talk to me again. <laughs> sure. yeah. but that's i mean you know shit that's what i would love to do right so it's so, an interesting story how like do you see that a lot right so and this is, i'm trying to think about this as you're saying it because uh, i've never really like thought about it but uh prior to making the film i had felt that like i had felt that there was a, a disconnect between what we think is the you know quote unquote answer and what the real answer might actually be uh you know to, to like a you know from a perspective you know a pursuit of happiness kind of perspective um less of everything that everyone thinks that they're trying to get right yeah less of the rat race so and, and i had seen that because i've been lucky enough to be around people like that and i i've not seen any uh linear association between you know uh financial or business success at a high, at a super high level, uh, and happiness. I've not, I've not noticed that the happiest people I've seen have been the opposite actually. So I, well, I uh, think the, not to cut you off, but no, so, yeah. Um, I was the other thing that I, even though, you know, it was, it was referenced in the story a lot, right. The thing with Roy, but one of the biggest things with Roy that resonated with me was when they went into his room, um, like there was just this intense feeling of somebody who was completely at peace with who he was, um, that he had this family that he loved. I loved, uh, I didn't write the verse down. I've got it somewhere. I took a screenshot of it, but the favorite, one of my favorite parts of that was when you took a shot of, uh, this picture of a mountain and he had, I think it was, it was a verse from, I think it was from Corinthians, but you know, he talked yeah. about, you know, being on the mountain and, like that, that part right there, I was like, this is a guy who knows who he is, isn't trying to chase a bunch of superficial bullshit. Um, and like, he's solid in every piece of his life. 
And I, I felt like as you were telling the story, like that's part of what Kip's searching for. And that's also what Cam really like locked into with Roy and one of, and the reason that, that Cam like looked up to Roy so much because Roy was like very well-rounded, very solid, very strong, knew who he was. And as a younger guy, Cam was not like that. And so he really locked onto that sense of security and that sense of uh, being. Well, I'm always looking for something where I feel like it is going to resonate on a higher level. Like it's, to me, it's a, it's vindicating knowing that like what you're telling me, your experience watching that film is kind of like what the intention was making it. Um, and the point I'm trying to get across, like you're trying to, uh, a film is, or a film or a book or anything. I mean, it's just a way to sort of reach across, you know, through pixels or through pages to people observing and like share your thoughts and share your experiences and, um, you know, and also your opinions in a way. And if that resonates with people, uh, you know, and obviously it was very, this story kind of worked itself out over time. I spent enough hours looking at it, these kind of pieces all come into place and you, you're kind of left with like, uh, you're left with something that is reflective of what Cam believes, what Kip believes, what I believe. And the idea, the hope is that what other people will also believe will, will resonate with them too. And it becomes like a, uh, I don't know, it's a, it's far greater than like the, its impact is far greater than just the sum of all the people involved. From a feedback perspective, obviously you're getting a lot of feedback on how well it was done, how good it was, but is this what's resonating with most people when you, you know, when people message you or when you hear from people that either, you know, whether you don't know them or whether people that you do know, what, what are the comments that you're getting in terms of what's like really kind of resonating with people? Yeah. Um, I don't know about specific comments, although, I mean, obviously there's been a ton of positive ones. Uh, I feel like it's um, partly kind of what, what you were saying. So uh, the idea that, you know, and Kip's story reflects this perfectly, you know, is that there is not, uh, the rat race probably isn't the answer for us, uh, even though we seem to, we're kind of conditioned to think it is. Um, that's one. The other one is, I think, and this is, this is actually part of what I feel too, is, uh, I think that, you know, probably especially men, but, you know, I, I don't want to speak for, or I want to be inclusive to everybody here, but I don't do a lot of just like calling up my buddies and saying, hey, you know, let's go on some cool adventure somewhere that maybe is a little bit dangerous, uh, but let's actually go. And I'm not talking about like some camping trip where you're, you know, you're in a park somewhere and everything, you've got the showers you go to and TV's plugged in and the camper and all that. Yeah, stuff. whatever. Yeah, everything's yeah. cultivated. Again, I'm not, you know, not judging. Nothing wrong sure. with that. Uh, and I'm sure as heck I'm going to do that with my kids. And, you know, so it's not like I don't do that stuff, but I've got a friend back home that I used to go adventuring out with their little pellet guns when we were kids, right? His name's Jordan. He's an electrician now. And I often think about our little adventures we have, which felt like huge adventures, right? We're just, we got our little pellet or pellet guns. And we're walking in the fields and the forest felt like we're a hundred miles away from home. We're probably, you know, thousand yards, but I think about that now. I think like, I miss doing that stuff. Why, why aren't I adventuring around the planet and, and with my buddies that I know have my back no matter what happens. Uh, and we're going to, you know, face down storms coming in and we're going to link arms and we're going to face it down. The grizzly bears coming in or whatever. And we're not worried about it because we're self-sufficient. I honestly feel like that's a 
to me, when I watch that film and I'm not trying to, you know, build up my own work or whatever, but I get that out of it. I, I think like I was so lucky to share the mountains with these people that are total badasses. Like I was by far the least badass person in that group. Uh, but I felt like one of them. And I felt like if anything were to happen then and now, now that we spent that time together, uh, those guys, Cam, Kip, Kobe, Kip's brother, he was there. Johnny, the guy who's probably the biggest badass out of everybody. Those guys had my back then and they have it now in a special way that you just don't. I think in the older days, you know, we, we I don't know, you know, the romantic idea of this is, is we, we go to war and we would bond and, and, uh, but also we go hunting, you know, they go on hunting trips where it was kind of life or death for the, for whatever it was, the tribes or the the communities, it was important. And uh, I just feel like, you know, and again, once we're wolves, the title, once we were, we were, we were kind of like that. And I think we, me speaking personally, I, I'm lacking that in my life. Yeah. I, I like to refer to it as, as a tribe, you know, it's one sure. of the reasons that, even when I stopped coaching football as a profession that I kept doing it because as an athlete, one of the, to me, one of the hardest parts about transitioning out of athletics is leaving this situation where you're in a locker room with the same guys over and over and you are grinding and you are, you know, to the point where you're throwing up all over the place, you know, you are working together to achieve something that very few people are willing to put in the effort, the pain, um, you know, all the things that it takes to get there. And in, and in doing that work and in going through that journey, you are creating this sense of this bond, this sense of tribe with these other men, you know, when you're in high school, other boys, whatever. And then all of a sudden you're not good enough to compete at that level anymore. And now you're, you know, two, three years later, you date, whatever you get married and she could be the most wonderful person in the world but is a huge part of, in my opinion, a man's heart that is instilled in us that we just give up if we don't make, you know, a really conscious effort to achieve that somehow in our lives. And I felt like you told that story really well, because for Cam, it was Roy for Kip. It's Cam. Right. right? And he's finding that in Cam. And if we don't make a conscious effort to somehow create that in our lives, um, you know, there's a part of our, of us that just goes completely unfulfilled. And I think that's where you get people trying to fill that with money, women, drugs, booze, you know, and it's just an empty hole. It comes in the top, pours out the bottom because it's not, it's, they're not filling the hole with what they really miss, but they don't even know that they miss that. Yeah. You said that much better than me. Exactly. So it's interesting, but I, I mean the, the, yeah, I could talk about it forever, but the way you did it, I thought the way you told the story was amazing. Um, I'm hoping to see more of that stuff come down the pipe. So what's, what's next for you? What project are you working on right now? I know that you, you mentioned the, um, what's American made, right? Do you have any yeah. other independent project like this that you might be working on for YouTube or, you know, what's the next big passion for you? Well, we're definitely going to do once we wolves too. Uh, I don't. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Tell us sure. a little bit about that. That's a, well, I, well, I, wish, that I, I wish I, I wish I could. And it's not, <laughs> I just, I actually don't know. I just know that uh, I've, I've spoken with Kip a bit and he's kind of been like, listen, you know, I'm working on it. Okay. Uh, well, so if you, if you need anyone to help, you know, document or contribute to the tribe, feel free to let me know. I'm fully <laughs> available. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. And that might happen too. Cause you know, and this, you know, part of that film was um, the real life was, I don't, 
particularly like being in like, you know, I would say quote unquote dangerous environments. Like, you know, there's kind of a, a threshold I have. And some of that stuff was, was a little high for me. So one we'll of, see what they want, want to do. One of the, so I, I don't want to sidebar this, but I'm just, cause I forget, I'm going to forget to ask this. I've thought about it twice and it didn't, no, the, I wanted to ask you about the, the time in the brush where, you know, you shot Kip's face, you shot your face. A, I was wondering what was the actual lag time between his shot hitting the bear and you actually finding the bear? Like how long were you in the brush? Cause it didn't look like very long, but I'm assuming it was probably longer. And then B, you know, which one of you wanted to jump out of there faster? You or Kip? <laughs> oh, either one of you wanted no, to be there. No. Yeah, no, I certainly, I mean, cause I'm observing, right. Um, and even though I'm recognizing that these stories are unfolding and, and I, I do believe that, uh, that there's some, some, I don't know, you know, greater truth going on and, and that really we should be out there hand linking arms and, and facing the storm. It's Kip's still real life, man. It's still, it's real, still life, real life. And you're yeah, still out and, there with a freaking huge bear that could kill you. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, and, you don't yeah, forget and, that in the middle of it. Right. And, and you can sort of like people who know me would, would probably laugh because I'm not some badass guy that's like, like Cam or, or even Kip where I'm going to, you know, purposely put my weight and put myself in danger just to, you know, because I'm at that stage of my life where, uh, you know, that that's what I want to do. I, I, I currently right now, that's not where I am. So, uh, I don't remember how much time elapsed. It wasn't that long, you know, it wasn't hours or anything. Uh, but when I did, you know, turn the camera around and shoot my face, um, that's all totally real. I was not. Oh, I figured it was. Like yeah, I, I figured it was. How high was that grass? Because I couldn't really get, you couldn't get your arms around the height. Oh, you it. couldn't, yeah, you couldn't see hardly anything. It was way, it's probably even thicker than what it looks like on film. Like, oh, film wow. is a funny way of, of showing. Yeah, it, it looked thinner, but I was like, based upon the way everyone was talking, I could tell it was thicker than it looked. No, you couldn't see anything. Yeah. And that's my fear, uh, quite honestly, was, um, you know, the bear would come up from the sides or the back. Sure. Or so I was, you know, Made uh, sense. So looking around for the most part and just kind of holding the camera in front of me. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So once we were wolves two is kind of the next thing that y'all are working on. And then yeah. you've got American made. And so what, you know, if you could say, Hey, uh, just, you know, kind of wrap things up five, 10 years from now, do you want to still be doing completely outdoor stuff? Is there any other kind of stories that you want to tell? You know, if you had the ability to, to tell a different kind of story, you know, one time, what would it be? Um, so I watched, uh, I'll answer the second, second part first. Uh, I remember watching, uh, interstellar. You familiar with that movie? Yeah. That was a great movie. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think it's a great movie. I, and I remember watching that. It's got kind of a weird ending, but I thought it was great. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. the only part of it. Just kind of like, eh, what happened there? Yeah. But, but it yeah. was filmed. The, the way they filmed it was amazing. Sure. Yeah. Story. So, and yeah. So, and that was, uh, Christopher Nolan, uh, directed that. And I remember walking out of the theater when I saw it and be like, okay, so that's what I want to do, uh, someday. Now, is that realistic? Probably not. Um, but if, you know, if I'm going to answer, honestly, I would love to, uh, have my film on a theater somewhere and, and does, could be something like once rules, or it could be something more like, you know, interstellar where you're in space. I don't know. I mean, I, I like all that stuff. I like storytelling and, and stuff that moves people. And certainly in that, that day, Christopher Nolan, like we talked about reaching across the screen and, and moving somebody, he, he moved me. And I was, um, yeah, kind of, you know, th there's all kinds of points in your life where you change the course of your sort of life or career. And that was one day for me. Uh, 
second part of your question is, is what, what else would I want to be doing? Um, I want to set up, I, I want to live a fulfilled life uh, ultimately. And for me, I'm realizing a big part of that outside of family is finding people like myself uh, when I was younger, you know, in my whatever teens, twenties, when I was kind of looking for, for purpose and meaning. And, and I got lucky enough that I had some successes early on, which, which kind of helped sort of guide my way forward, had a lot of open doors. I uh, hit my head a few times and made some mistakes. I would love, uh, but ultimately I found that I almost made a huge mistake. I almost went into, you know, finance and that, that I don't think that would have fulfilled me like uh, a creative career has. So I'd like to help enable people um, like myself, younger people to uh, find creativity and, and find purpose in life and, and make a difference through, through, through storytelling. If I can. That's, that's, I love that. You know, that's the older I've gotten, the more I've been interested in putting back into people and helping other people achieve the things they want to achieve. But I think you've, you've really tapped into a lot with the story that you told in terms of, like you mentioned that things were missing. And I think just being aware of that at your age is going to make things, you know, not just so much better for you from a personal standpoint, but you know, in terms of the stories you tell, um, you know, and also how you give back to your family. Like I, I always, I truly believe that we can't be the best version of ourselves for our family and the people we love, unless we're the best version of ourselves for ourselves first. Yeah. I love that. I agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Hey man, it was a pleasure to talk to you, a privilege. I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, I can't wait to see what you do next. Thanks. Likewise, Eric. Likewise, Eric really means a lot. Thank you so much for, for having <laughs> Thank, me. On. Thanks for you're still here. Thanks for listening to the Do Not Go Quietly podcast it's over. with Eric Wilson. Go home. Go. still here thanks for listening to the do not go quietly podcast it's over with eric wilson go home go